Hello everyone, it's Luke here. Welcome to the Ale of a Time podcast. This week we have two very special guests uh, from Slow Lane Brewing in Botany, New South Wales. It's a fairly new brewery in the greater scheme of things and they are really leaning into uh, classic European styles but with kind of modern Australian takes, so your dry hopped mixed fermentation kind of things. Uh, really, really fun beers and I, I really enjoyed everything I have. I have had, sorry, and it was a good time chatting to both Alex and Yvonne. Look, I'm going to acknowledge some uh, loose language that I used. Uh, referring to them as guys, uh, I, I know people kind of sometimes go different ways on, you know, using guys as the, the plural for a group when it's not just uh, men. Uh, I don't know, I, I listened back and I, I kept calling them guys and uh, I don't know, I felt bad about that afterwards. So I just thought I'd acknowledge that. Uh, and also, I asked Yvonne about her beer knowledge, uh, assuming maybe that she wasn't super across all the beers and, uh, you know, it might have sounded a little bit patronizing. Uh, I, I, I hope it didn't and maybe if you listen back it doesn't, but I don't know, I just thought I'd be upfront about some of my loose language around gender and beer. Next week we'll be back with another brewery that I don't know too much about, uh, still fairly newish at Seasonal Brewing Co. in WA there. They're going to join us live on YouTube. Uh, you can join us 8.30 on the Beer Together YouTube channel. The link probably won't be live just yet, but if you subscribe to that channel uh, or keep an eye on our socials, you'll find the link. It's 8.30 Monday night, Australian Eastern Standard... Uh, Australian Eastland Daylight Savings Time. Until then, uh, yeah, enjoy this one. Cheers. Alex and Yvonne, how are you guys going? You've recently opened a tap room. Yeah, busy, but, you know, it's great to have it open. It took a long time. You know, I think we were telling people maybe a year ago that it was almost ready. And, you know, then we kind of blamed COVID for not opening it and then kind of took our time and, you know, finally got it soft open just before Christmas and proper open in mid-January. So, so did that give you guys a little bit of breathing room to get a few things polished off or was that a complete disaster for you? Uh, I mean, it was kind of good in a way that we could like focus on like brewing and canning and sort of some wholesale sales before the tasting room opens. Um, so we didn't have everything kind of coming at once. So kind of worked out well. Um, and then I guess because of, COVID, we kind of made a decision to do a lot of the work on the tasting room and just fit out ourselves and kind of slow it down um, rather than trying to like rush it and spending more money or trying, you know, do things ourselves where we could, save a bit of cash. I think we were lucky in that we hadn't really started the process, so we didn't have anything lined up and we could just kind of slow it down at that point. Yeah. Um. We can hear crickets in the background. It sounds like such a, a warm... Sun- it's not too loud. Nah, it's, fine. I, I, it's good. Um, what do they call that in the in the sound? It's a sound bed. It's a good sound bed. Um, 
we're about it's not cricket sound bad, I don't think, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be every time we try and make a joke, it's just gonna really punctuate yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, where about in Australia are you, if you're hearing the sound of, of crickets in the evening? We are in Sydney. It's a very hot night and there is lots of crickets in the background. And we thought about like closing the door to sort of mute the noise, but then it's really hot in our room. <laughs> yes, we could have put the aircon on, but only for that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, there's certainly no issue with me. Um, so the tap room is in Botany. I, I don't know where that is. If someone said to me that was in Queensland, I would have gone, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, can you give us a bit of a rundown on the, the area and, and why you chose that area? Yeah, so I mean, it's basically between the international airport and the um, shipping container port, Port Botany. Um, it's a, you know industrial area, obviously. Um, it's about 10 kilometres from the Sydney CBD. Uh, so... You know, we looked at like a few different areas and I guess, the, you know, in general, it's really hard to find a location, like find a, you know, building that works for a brewery that's within our price range that, you know, council requirements, that has like a receptive landlord. Um, and we looked at a few places like in around Botany um, and then we found this place and, and it's just something about it like it's like kind of a for an industrial area it's like a quiet street is it you know a few trees around it's kind of just suited the kind of feel that we're going for that kind of relaxed feel yeah i um i read quickly read the is a write-up in broadsheet sydney for you guys and it yeah. they seemed amazed that there was beer and wine glasses i think was that my takeaway it was like the um, you know beer and wine glasses. Where are we? What is this place? Uh, <laughs> I guess you kind of forget that people are still surprised that that you know that's not that uncommon anymore. Uh, but it is kind of suits your approach. Can you? And I'm, I guess speaking to I've I'm drinking a mixed ferment sour ale, the Botany Weiss. Um, so what is your approach to brewing? Is it beer and wine glasses? <laughs> Fancy beer for fancy glasses? Alex is pretty insistent that the beers should be drank out of a glass as opposed to, like, otherwise. I was almost going to drink this out of the can, so I'm glad I didn't now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Definitely getting the glasses was, like, you know, very important to me. I've always spent, you know, hours researching what beer glasses to buy, and we actually had the beer glasses far before the tasting room was ready. <laughs> Obviously, prioritise that. That over was one thing other we things. had lined up. <laughs> we were selling beer, good beer glasses probably for eight months before we could open the tasting room. But. So what did you go yeah. with? Was there like one glass that you were like, this is this is the one we're using? So we've got, I guess, two glasses. Um, they're both like Rastel glasses from Germany. Um, we've got like the, I think it's the Harmony, like wine glass one, so, you know, the fancier one. And then... We've got like a Willy Betcher glass, is it? Well, like kind I always of say Willy Beecher, but I don't know if Betcher, I'm correct Beecher, at all. Beecher, probably. I'm not very good at pronouncing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Especially German stuff. <laughs> um, I really like the Willy, the Willy Beecher. I use that for most things at it's home. It's your glass of choice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, oh yeah. I really like them. They're, um, if I'm not drinking out of a stamped one, I went for a giant. I've gone for the, uh, it's the Dollar Bill Rare Oak Society glass. 
which I, I often don't use, and I saw it up there, and I was like, oh, yeah, perfect. Um, but, yeah, the, the willies are great. They're good all-rounders. So One thing we learn is you don't want to stack them <laughs> when you're collecting the glasses. We've broken so many because we try to put, like, three or four in... Like, yeah, they don't stack like Aussie yeah. like schooner glasses. You stack more than like three, they like get stuck together and break. Yeah. <laughs> we always have people that think they've been very helpful, like bringing all the glasses to the bar. So I've been helpful, but then well, we're lucky that it's pretty small tasting room. And yeah, it's, you know, the furthest table is only like a few meters from the bar. So. Um, so t- talk us through the tasting room and the beers. Uh, so I get the sense it's European influenced uh you know german belgian uh brewing there's a couple of the mix pack you sent down there's a couple of bigger uh, barley wine in there as well uh what's yeah what's your approach to brewing so i mean i think we describe it as modern interpretations of kind of old old european styles so you know it's what the kind of beers that we're really into those Belgian styles, um, you know, farmhouse styles, lots of mixed fermentation beers, uh, you know, and also like, you know, some German and even, yeah, like British styles. So that's what we really wanted to focus on. And I guess we've kind of gone all in on that and kind of set up the brewery, like even the equipment to kind of focus on those styles. So like all the beers are um, open fermented, like primary fermentations in like open top tanks. Um, everything's can and cake conditioned. Um, we have a, you know, a lot of space for barrels. Um, we kind of we have these tanks that we can do kind of long term mixed fermentation and kind of brett beers in. So like, you leave it in a tank for several months. So how how did you land at this approach? What's your both your backgrounds to 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 lead to this yeah. point? The brewery is really inspired by our time in the US. So, I mean, I've always been into beer living in Sydney, um, but we moved to New York like for our corporate jobs, um, so 2012. Uh, and then kind of just getting exposed to the craft beer scene over there, like all the, the breweries um, popping up everywhere. Um, just, you know, got even more interested in beer uh, and then Yvonne bought me a homebrew kit um, and I got into the homebrewing side and that kind of kept escalating, kept buying bigger and better equipment and, you know, like I drank a lot of IPAs over there, but I was always more interested in the breweries over there that are doing like the more European styles. So I was doing like Belgian beers and experimentation beers or lagers, that kind of thing. So like they're the beer, always the beers that I homebrewed and kind of we do a lot of travel around the US and some Europe as well and like they're kind of breweries, breweries you sort out the ones doing those European styles uh, what do you still do your corporate jobs or are you both all in on this now uh, one does yeah I still work four days a week um, in in the same job that I had all along um, but Alex is like completely immersed in the brewery he's seven days a week at the brewery <laughs> i like how you said it escalated uh i think it's an interesting term for for home brewing as you said that i pictured your your house slowly filling up with equipment uh and is that is that accurate 
I think that is yeah. literally what yeah. had happened. Like I bought him this tiny little kit that was like, you know, a small box. Like one gallon or something. Yeah, and then like he brewed once and then the that that part like one part of it just became bigger and then the next part of it became bigger and then eventually we had like we had this apartment where there was like sort of this pantry area but it also had a door and it was just basically perfect for him to use as a brewing closet um and yeah so it just it kind of grew and grew and that was an apartment and then like i mean i would say the brewery is like a giant sized like of your home brew because you continue to brew the same styles that you know you've always liked but just on a huge scale well not huge but like a much bigger scale i mean everyone told me i had to get my home brewing stuff out of the apartment so <laughs> i had no choice but to start a brewery um so i guess this one uh won a trophy at the indies so is this i guess would you consider this to be your flagship in a way or or just this is you know one that, that no, like i i don't think we have we definitely don't have a flagship um we don't have a core range like we do have some regular beers i guess so we've brewed a few times um but we're oh no we're still fairly young so like we're still working out you know if we you know each kind of each time we bring out a beer it may just be a one-off or we may bring it back i guess we don't know at that point um Obviously, that one was popular and it won an award, so we're going to keep brewing that. Um, and it has become a series. And yeah, I guess we've done it like different fruited versions um, of it. So, so talk us through what it is. Uh, it's called Botany Vice. How is it made? Uh, you know, mixed fermentation. So, are you kettle souring and then blending, or are you blending? So, so we're trying to do it more like a um what we understand like a traditional Berliner Weiss or Berliner Weisser um depends how you know <laughs> trying to improve my pronunciation of these <laughs> German styles um it's like how we believe like a traditional one would have been made so it's not it's not a kettle sour um where it has like live lactobacillus in it and it also has brett in it so it has like a couple of month long brett um fermentation as well so we basically like yeah co-pitch um saccharomyces um lacto and brett at the same time um and then yeah let it ride ride for a couple of months we also we don't it's a no boil beer so we don't boil it um which is arguably also traditional for that style of beer um so it's like super pale in color and it's got kind of more bready notes like the kind of like the um barley most barley and like the um malted wheat kind of the bready notes of that really come through are you concerned about stability <laughs> not boiling yeah <laughs> so yeah i mean well it's, it's yeah because you know it's a risk with the beers that we do like we're extra conscious of it um and so we're you know measuring things very precisely like before we um can it so making sure there's you know no residual like sugar that can be um further fermented in the can and you know even after we can it 
like it's can condition so like it stays in the brewery for at least a few weeks and we monitor like any additional fermentation and um you know carbonation and pressure in the cans to make sure everything's good um are, are you has it all been good have you had to tip any out uh like we definitely some have like been more carbonated than we planned but not to the point that they're like they're well within the limits of the cans and like we haven't had to we've had to tip dump beer but not for that reason just because it didn't turn out the way we wanted it um i'm really enjoying this it's the first time i've had it uh it's really lovely it's got a really it's still f- quite a full palette but but really soft um a lot going on but also i can just kind of smash it down pretty quickly which is probably what i'm looking for in, in this style yeah. Um, you mentioned fruited variants. What have you done fruit-wise? Uh, so we've done a mango and passion fruit, um, which we're bringing out again uh, this week, hopefully. Uh, and then we also did an apricot version. And then, yeah, plenty. So we've got, like, we're always going to have at least one tank filled with this beer. So, um, you know, whenever that's ready, we'll, you know, come up with a new fruit to put in it. Uh, and... How does these how do these beers go on in the tap room? If uh, you you know you kind of painted a picture of an industrial area, uh, are people still wandering in and going, I don't know what this is, or are people kind of is the level everywhere people know what? I've been very pleasantly surprised by like how many people are into sour beer or at the least know of sour beer and like quite open to it. Um, you know, not they don't necessarily a lot of people don't necessarily understand the details like of how it's made, but um, yeah, like it, like I think probably almost half our top list is sour beers of some form, yeah. and um, yeah, we sell a lot of them that go down Surprisingly. well. Surprisingly, yeah, but 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 there's definitely certain. This is a group of like set of people who will come in and be like steer me away from those salads and then sort of like cross cross cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've had some people I think not look at it properly and think it was more like just like a German wheat beer and then return the skin, the glasses of it and be like, no, <laughs> this is not what I want. Has <laughs> anyone been? Um, oh. Bigger beers go at the tap room because I've had both. I've had the barley wine and the. Um, Belgian brown and they're both um, pretty traditional uh, tasting and then there's not a lot of those around so how do they go at the tap room? Yeah like I mean I guess one advantage we have is that we do offer like a tasting size a smaller size and then a larger size and for those particular beers um, actually they're only available in the tasting and the small so and and we kind of list them from like sort of the light sort of easier drinking beers to sort of the, the you know 14% barley wine so people kind of work through the list and then you know they kind of finish off with a sort of stronger and they kind of almost expect it um, but yeah but I think definitely like I, you know, if it's a Friday night, people are sticking to the Thirsty Miners and the refectory. Yeah. Uh, thirsty Miner, um, I think I mentioned an email. I, I love the French pronunciation of recette. Uh, <laughs> even I'm terrible at it, but um, 
a taste tasting niche who used to do a lot of uh, YouTube videos. I don't think she still does, but she's an American that lived in France. And the first time, I, first time I heard her say "grisette," I was like, <laughs> "Oh my god!" I've been saying "grisette" this whole time, and I could be doing it so elegantly. Um, but it's <laughs> it's a style you don't see that often uh, in Australia. Why why have you you made one? It's a style that I like to drink, and you know we we do. Like we do like doing, um, you know, where we can like sort of like three, four percent alcohol beers, like really, you know, like to drink, you know, beers at that like, you know, alcohol level, like, you know, very sessionable beers. And, you know, it's a style that is, you know, designed to be at that, you know, strength. So that was like, and it's a Belgian style. So I thought it was like, I was always getting plenty on doing one um and like it's i think we're pleasantly surprised that like because we kind of pitch it almost like our mid-strength option when people come to the tasting room like it's the first one on the menu and like kind of eat and the sort of 4.8 percent belgian blonde like the kind of like entry level options and um like people are like most people are generally pretty receptive to it um you know it's definitely a bit a lot different to like you know, typical at you know mid-strength beer in australia but um still somewhat approachable it's interesting the i guess for people that, that aren't familiar with the style it's it's similar to saison uh, in a lot of ways um but we've talked about this on the show how brewers struggle to sell saison in australia uh, unless you're you know you're making that your whole thing and even then i'm you know the volumes aren't huge uh, so I guess it's kind of cool to hear that people are are going for that. Um, do you get the sense that people are more open to those kind of things? Is that you know? Do we think that's a modern you know times are changing, or, or what's your take on it? I mean, I still definitely get that impression that you know saison doesn't sell that well. Um, so I'm like, I don't know whether like calling it Grisette makes it easier to sell like i don't know if i called it table saison if it wouldn't sell as well um i think like, some of the comments that we've heard is that the word saison doesn't work for brands i've heard yeah like we normally use farmhouse ale yeah. right? i don't know how much better visette is but um i thought saison uh i don't know sounds pretty good to me yeah <laughs> yeah saison is a it's a lovely sounding word as well what's wrong with people <laughs> give me an IPA it's so harsh sounding uh, um, so yeah I guess coming back to the, the phrasing so the term farmhouse um, is and that kind of mixed fermentation are you, are you guys kind of finding that people know what they are you mentioned that people sort of know what sours are um, but there's still a kind of a leap to those are, are you you know is there still a lot of explaining going on over the bar yeah, like, I think farmhouse, like, people always ask, what's farmhouse? And that's hard to explain than what's a sour beer. And I think even mixed fermentation is probably a bit easier to explain because it's, you know, mix of different yeast and bacteria strains. Um, so, yeah, I still probably haven't found, like, a great way to explain to people, like, what farmhouse is. <laughs> what happens when, like, 
people that aren't really sure what they're asking for, when they ask those questions and you're giving the answers, it, how do they compute that? Because I don't think I would have, even when you told me about mixed fermentation sort of seven, eight years ago, I probably wouldn't really apply that in my mind at all. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess we try and, I guess what we're trying to explain to people, I guess what we're trying to do is, you know, make beer that's more complex in flavor, and that's a method that we use to do it. So you have a mixed fermentation beer, like hopefully, you know, the, the interactions between the different, like, yeast and bacteria, like, create a more complex beer. And you can kind of describe some of the kind of flavors that you may get from that. Are people sort of coming back and, you know, the, it's their first time there and are you finding people returning and going, oh, I really loved that, that mixed ferment beer? Is that kind of happening? I mean, like, obviously we haven't been, we've only been open since mid-Jan, so, like, there haven't been too many opportunities. But, yeah, like, I think, you know, some people, like, didn't come in for this sort of beer. They tried it, they liked it you know they got a second glass or they have come back like there has been people but but there are certainly other people where it's sort of like yeah i've tried it but that's it like i'm gonna stick with you know the pale ale or something yeah have had either of you guys worked hospitality before opening up a venue no (laughs) (laughs) and how's that going i'm sure there's all these (laughs) you know Definitely every week we um, <laughs> improve on something. We kind of like the first week or two are probably a bit rusty and then, you know, it keeps improving. But I, I guess we're lucky that it's a, yeah, it's a relatively small venue. So we're not getting like overwhelmed with like masses of people. Um, I also feel like I think it's pretty relaxed and I'm also very like just super impressed that people come in and they're just interested that like, you know, whether to have a chat to know your story, like, oh, you guys are husband wife team or like just, you know, oh, like there's so many barrels here. I didn't know beer go in barrels and then just ask questions. Um, you know, yes, I was explaining like, you know, this is like yeast and bacteria and etc. Um, so I like it, I think it's just nice when people come in and they're just interested and they're happy to have a chat. And I don't think um, it's not like, I guess, a nightclub bar or something where we're like trying to like keep <laughs> up and, you know, like the lack of hospitality experience would like like hinder us kind of thing. Yeah. There's no espresso martinis or... Uh, no, no. no. How about to learn how to make a gin and tonic? We're surprisingly sell a lot of gin and tonics. Okay. <laughs> The, the, the handy thing with that one, it's, it's all in the name. It wasn't too hard to work out. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yvonne, how's your beer knowledge as well? Uh, you know, knowing what people are like in tap rooms, there's always people trying to come in and stump the people behind the bar or show that they know things. Have you picked up, you know, being in a, in a house with a home brewer, uh, now pro brewer, have you picked up all the, all the understanding of, of what the yeast and bacteria are? <laughs> I mean, I certainly am not up to scratch with the science and technology side of it. Like if if Alex was to kind of go, hey, brew me this, I would like, I just want to be like, uh. Um, but I mean, it's been a long 
journey, like it, like kind of like the beer exploration, I guess, started happening a long time ago. I've been, I've gone to so many breweries. I've listened to so many beer podcasts on road trips. <laughs> um, you know, I actually started reading some of the books as well. So I feel like I've got some of that knowledge there just and like, it's like osmosis. Like you're just talking about beer all the time. It just comes. Just out. gets forced into I know, your mind. like, yeah. And and I remember, um, like, you had when you were doing your cicerone, like, you know, he would get me to like smell some of the um, different offers, and yeah, surprisingly, I was getting them. <laughs> I haven't done a sensory class for ages. I'm really keen to because I don't know what my I don't know what I smell and taste these days. I'm so, you know, it's been probably 10 years since I actually did one. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I, I think I'm lining, I'm doing one soon, so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I've just opened up a resting place, Hoppy Mixed Fermentation Sour Ale. Can you talk us through this one? Yeah, so this one uses Philly Sour Yeast, which is like a new product out there. Um, it's has like a, it's a yeast strain that also produces lactic acid so essentially you can make a sour beer without using any souring bacteria um so i guess one of the the uses of it is you can make like a sour ipa and you can like put as many hops in it as you like and it's still gonna sour as opposed to if you're using souring bacteria if you put a lot, a lot of hops in it it's not gonna sour um so yeah that's what we used it for um essentially sour IPA I guess but then we just didn't want to do a sour IPA we also wanted to put our own spin on it so um, we also like put um, Brett C like kind of like a fruity strain of Brett in it um, and so conditioned it on that for a couple of months before we dry hopped it Um, so trying to get the combination of that you know it's not super sour um, but definitely some sourness and acidity um some like i think it was like mosaic and el dorado maybe some like so yeah us kind of fruit forward kind of tropical fruit hops um and then have some like kind of fruity esters from the bright strain it smells uh, gorgeous it really it reminds me of um maybe the hippie blender vice from eight wide uh, yeah. aroma wise uh, or something that kind of is triggering a memory and I can't quite put my finger on it <laughs> um, so that's the the Philly Sour from Lalamond yeast yeah. uh, I should probably shout them out because back when we started Beer Together on YouTube they um, through Crafty Pint paid for our Zoom um, like the paid subscription to Zoom so uh, they didn't want anything in return, I don't think. So thanks, Lullabund, uh for, for <laughs> providing a uh, really good yeast to the, the brewers of Australia and uh, beer together as own. They gave me free yeast too. I didn't pay for it. It's, it was a trial batch. It's been almost a year and they're finally getting an ad or a plug. <laughs> <laughs> I use their uh, Keep Cup for a year too, so shout out. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got one of those. They're really good. The ones they gave out at Brewcon 2019. We've, Beautiful. Yeah. They're a staple in the uh, Brewers Association office as well, those. Uh, they're good, good keep cups. Yeah, they get very much, to be honest. So, uh, nothing for a year, and now we can't shut up about them. <laughs> I'll flash up a, a Lullaman thing at the end. <laughs> um, 
So now that you kind of, I don't know, do you feel like you're somewhat established where you are? Or do you still feel like you're learning and, and screaming terrified inside your mind? Or how does it feel at the moment? Uh, it depends on the day <laughs> or that hour of the day. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking everything and sometimes I feel like everything is going wrong. <laughs> what did you say there, Dave? Well, you're saying that we're more or less working seven days a week. So you're probably too stressed and tired to be screaming <laughs> too much to anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So are you open seven days a week or it's just. Uh, so we. The tasting room operates just on the weekends and up until now it's just been Friday night and Saturday but from next weekend we'll add Sundays um, so it's yeah Friday night to Sunday night is the tasting room and the brewery yeah, operates during the week obviously um, and yeah essentially while we're hiring staff it's yeah us staffing it how's the staffing hiring going I understand everyone's struggling to find staff are you guys in the same boat yeah, I mean, like, I guess we haven't. It's only been a couple of weeks, um, so I'm confident we'll find people. Um, but yeah, we've got we've got someone, uh, one person to help us out, and yeah, I'm confident we'll just find you know the right person. Just haven't got there yet. <laughs> um, so how how do things look for the next say two years for you guys? Are you uh, you know thinking of the style of beers that you're making? Are you sort of long you know forward planning a lot of a lot of blended beers or are you getting out what you can now and then then working it out from there how does it look uh so i guess when we kind of set up our brew kit like just over a year ago um like to start with um we actually like brewed um a lot of beer for barrels a lot of like sort of sour mixed fermentation beer put in wine barrels so I guess now we have a whole bunch of barrels that are sort of a year old and um, so hopefully uh, some of them will be ready to release over the next couple of months uh, and then yeah I guess we're just continuing to brew different a kind of combination of like shorter turnaround beers and sort of you know a couple of months long kind of turnaround beers and then you know continuing to like fill more barrels of the sort of more longer term um, barrel aged ones when I sort of first saw your cans uh, they're gorgeous cans by the way I really like the colours on this one um, big fan of that they're, I was kind of surprised that you weren't doing bottles uh, just for the style of beers you are doing what was the decision behind that so definitely when we started planning the brewery like so many years ago now it's been a long journey like we were going to do bottles for everything. We definitely weren't doing cans and then kind of over the course of planning it, we were like, well, maybe we'll do some cans, some bottles. And then I guess we, you know, we bought the canning machine first. So we started with cans and we're like, oh, we'll, we'll do more specialty stuff in bottles. And I think we're still planning on doing um, bottles for, I guess, beers that we really want people to age or um you know if we and if we do something that's really special like a spontaneous beer or you know kind of like lambic inspired stuff um but for now i know we like the the cans are going well like definitely the market's moving 
towards cans we feel definitely is they are um so it's an interesting one dave where do you land on this like for these styles of beer i mean i think perfect world those kind of ageable beers you'd want to have in uh, a, a, a big format bottle but i bought your barley wine purely because i saw it and i was like get a barley wine perfect that's that's exactly what i want um and that was like i had i hadn't heard of you guys and uh, like uh, until I saw those two beers and I was like can of barley wine can of like strong Belgian sour brown I like what these guys are doing so I I don't know the accessibility of those kinds of beers when you um, think about it in smaller format cans then that's kind of what I'm about now it's interesting yeah, when you when you come across a new brewery doing this ty- style of beers you're doing and you're right the the stronger the barley wines I, I can't think of anyone putting barley wine in cans. Uh, I'm sure there's a couple, but they don't spring to mind. And you're kind of like, huh, okay. It kind of sets you apart from everyone else that's doing these. So I think it, it makes sense. Yeah, and I bought it with the intention of drinking. So like the like I didn't need to keep it for ageing. So I was just like, yes, perfect. That's what I'm getting. And the jury's still out, right, on ageing. How much research yeah. have you done onto this? So, I mean, I think it's kind of unknown, like how well beer or Asian cans, like very long term. I think, I think something like a barley wine might be okay. Like definitely um, sour beers. I guess there's some concern that like if they're really sour over time, it could degrade like the liner of the can. Um, so I think. Like we probably put it best before like two or three years, maybe like on our sort of mixed fermentation kind of barrel aged sour beers. And I'm not sure like what any people know after that. <laughs> the, um, I've kind of looked at, into energy drinks because it's been pointed out that the pH of energy drinks is far lower than the pH of any, any sour beers. And I think they give them I can't remember the shelf life for that, but they give them a pretty long shelf life. Uh, and I kind of like look, think about a can of Monster or Red Bull and think, well, if they, if they can last two years, a sour beer is probably going to be fine. If, particularly if a, a company the behind them that have put that much, you know, if they get to two years and they kill someone, there's that's ruining their company. Uh, and they've put a lot of labs into that. So I don't know. I, can't, well, I don't think it's going to like, I don't think it's going to be, harmful for you i think it would just may affect the taste mm. um and but i guess like our beers are a lot less sour than plenty of like other kettle, kettle sour beer out there so it's not something that's so i guess people aren't aging kettle sours probably no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting I, i'm curious so I, th- I know people are starting to you know there's kind of been enough can beer and cans suitable for aging for long enough now that people are starting to I guess get those you know 10 year um, just trying to think of what the one I have in mind 1050 Oscar Blues yeah, um, yeah. you know I, I've seen people sort of doing some long term projects so I'd be curious to see I think everyone's probably curious to see how they look uh, now um, but it's weird there is a mindset with Asian cans if I think about it I probably wouldn't 
after saying all that and I think it's just a, a mindset thing do you yeah. mean you wouldn't buy cans to age I or so, you would yeah. be buying for immediate consumption yeah I don't think I'd buy them to age aging my beers and start to drink the cellar when I had to think of the like logistical operation of moving all those beers I was like nah nah <laughs> not happening gonna drink them all now so yeah and I also hated all the beers at that stage so it was just a, it was pointless, yeah. So the I guess the thinking of that in terms of cans and moving house and storage space, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, you know, in the in the brewery, they're definitely a lot easier to store. So that's probably one of the things in my head that you know, if we start using bottles, it's just practically a lot more difficult, and they're you know not as good for like. Shipping out to people, you gotta make sure you wrap them properly. They're heavier, likely to break. So there's definitely lots of advantages to cans. Do you think? That point of view. Do you think perception to, on the wider market? You know, these styles of beer would go really well in in restaurants, but a lot of restaurants have quite often been reluctant to take on cans. Is that something that, you, that you've really thought about or come across? Yeah, I've thought about it. Yeah. I think it's changing somewhat, like maybe not for all restaurants, but I think I feel some a lot of restaurants are more open to cans, like the you know, that perception that beer in cans is inferior doesn't really exist anymore and yeah, I I think I've certainly seen some like cans on the menu at like nicer restaurants. Um, and speaking of how widely is your beer going, are, are you selling to many restaurants, for example? Not many, mostly um, bottle shops. So mostly, um, yeah, just more like sort of boutique independent bottle shops in um, you know, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth. That's, uh, I'm thinking of setting beer to Perth as well. Uh, that's got to be exciting, getting beer out so far. And, you know, these kind of beers for such a young brewery. Yeah, we didn't really plan on it, but like from early days, we had lots of people in Perth, like individuals as well as um, some um, sort of retailers contacting, out, contacting us. And yeah, you know, surprised like the Perth beer scenes, beer scenes like quite impressive, and they seem quite into these types of beers. And how are you going about? Are you saying like people are approaching? You know, individuals are approaching you. Is it just word of mouth at the moment? Do you have any? Uh, is, is the marketing department you two? Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, word of mouth, social media, like, and we don't we don't make we don't make a lot of beer at least you know at the moment and probably ever. So I'm not saying we're sending like pallet loads of beer to Perth. No, right, we're you know. Where I guess deliberately set up the brewery to be able to make like small, so like twelve hundred liter batches of lots of different beers, rather than making a lot of the same beer. Mm. Uh, Who did your your website design with that like geometric shape shift? Yeah, <laughs> luckily we have a, um, a high school mate that um, does that kind of stuff as his day job, and yeah, right. kind of, yeah, we end up getting his help with 
like all the um the branding logo like labels and then you know because he does that kind of 3d animation stuff as his day job he's like oh i can just whip this up for you I'm like, oh, that looks awesome pretty good. <laughs> that, that rules. yeah yeah the websites look looks really sharp and uh, the geometric shapes i like they i'm um, gonna hold them up to the camera for people watching there's a kind of a this, that looks terrible, doesn't it, Dave? I can see you laughing. <laughs> Look them up on the website. Um, you can you can express color and different bears within the same shapes. You know, people think of color blocking where it's two colors, one at the top, one at the bottom. But I guess that's because you you both were you the brewery room to experiment with those colors, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's like we wanted to have a kind of system for the labels that enable us to put out like a lot of different beers without having to do like a new label design from scratch each time. Uh, so what do you have in the coming couple of months that people should be excited about beer woes? What are you excited about beer woes? Uh, so I have that Domingo passion fruit version of the um, Bottling Weiss. And we have got one of the first, one of the, one of the first three beers we brought out was called Foundation. It was like the first beer we brewed um, on our new brew kit and we, it was a farmhouse owl that we put in barrels with Brett um, and that was, yeah, fairly well received. Like it was, you know, surprisingly, surprised that actually like a barrel-aged farmhouse owl like um, sold quite well and, you know, sold to a lot of people, I guess because it was in cans like it rather than bottles. It definitely sold to a lot of people that um, may not have considered or wouldn't have bought like a, you know, 750 mil barrel-aged bottle of like barrel-aged farmhouse ale. Uh, so we, we brewed like another similar style beer um, that's hopefully coming out this week, which is, yeah, I guess another um, barrel-aged farmhouse ale. This one spent more like it, the last one was maybe like three or four months, like four months in barrels. This one's closer to a year in barrels. It's a bit more acidity, a bit more complex uh, and then I guess we've planned to do um, some more like Belgian kind of like Abbey Trapper style beers so got a triple coming out and then uh, plan to do some like doubles quadruples kind of dark strong sort of coming into colder weather um, so, you know we really like that styles their styles and we get you know a lot of people actually coming into the tasting room saying that, that they're like really like their styles and they're like disappointed that you can't really find them in Australia like very often other than the imports so um, hopefully yeah. and you got some stuff in the bourbon barrels as well oh yeah I got some bourbon barrel I got bourbon barrel aged barley wine and imperial stout that hopefully be ready for colder weather as well um, I feel like this is purely anecdotally as well, based on nothing, but Belgian, particularly triples and doubles and, and sort of Trappist-influenced beers, are having somewhat of a bit of a, res- a resurgence. Um, you know, looking on social media, and I mean, Dave, you're you're excited to see Triple Carmelite come in a... Love Triple. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you know, I feel like that's it's a good time. Thank you. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'd be curious to see how they, how they go in terms of market reception because that's another thing that you know a lot of breweries would probably tell you you can't really sell at the moment uh it's not hazy and it's not you know whatever. 
Uh, yeah, interesting. Looking forward to seeing them. And also, yes, yeah. also in cans as well is uh, you know. <laughs> Again, uh, it's not one I think I think of any other breweries doing. So, it's a really cool point of difference. I can't be alone in this, but I literally, if I go to Carmen Sellers to buy some beers, I look for different kinds of beer in cans, and then ultimately failing that, I fall back on an IPA or whatever. But like, I'm just looking for some different stuff in cans, and it's so refreshing to find. I mean, that's how I found your stuff in the first place. So, um, yeah, it's it's great. That's an interesting mindset, going in and looking for different stuff in cans. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't want to spend $75 on a bottle that is a risk. Like, like it's a... I mean, maybe if I, if I knew the producer and they had the runs on the board or whatever, but I'm not taking a punt on a big format bottle, but I want to have something a bit different. So I look for that first before uh, falling back to the old faves. No, that's definitely what I found myself doing, like, you know, before we started the brewery. So that's another, I guess, reason why I will keen to go the cans because, you know, there's plenty of other people out there that also, you know, you know, don't look at the bottle section when they go to the bottle shop. They're just looking for different, couple of different four packs or a couple of different single cans they can pick up. Yeah, I reckon that's... Thinking about how I shop, um, I'm, I'm pretty much looking for staples if I'm shopping, but yeah, it's cans. I don't consider bottles at all. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, coming up to time, Dave, do you have any more questions? Not for me, no. Oh, so I did actually. How long did you homebrew for before you went pro, Alex? Uh, so started, you bought me the homebrew kit and like, 2013. I think so, yeah. Then we moved to San Francisco in 2015. 15. So essentially, um, when when we we moved from New York to San Francisco, and that's when I quit my corporate job. And then I um, worked at a couple of breweries over there, um, so getting some commercial experience. Um, so I guess I'd only been home brewing before that for. A couple of years, but I spent sort of almost two years doing different um, roles at um, those, you know, sort of small to medium-sized craft breweries. Um, Do you do that with the foresight that you were going to uh, launch something yourself? That was a plan, yeah. So, like those, you know, minimum wage jobs. I didn't. I had no formal brewing education, so I was, you know, doing the shitty work to start with at least um so yeah it was definitely with the to get the experience to you know hopefully like with the idea hopefully we had to start our own brewery when we moved back to australia um do you remember releasing your first beer at slow lane or, or you know packaging it for the first time well yeah, it wasn't that long yeah. ago but yeah <laughs> just like it was may last year we um was that exciting Exciting, but nervous, like nerve-wracking, you know, just. Didn't seem real to yeah. see. Like, I think someone, uh, one of our friends sent us a photo of, like, you know, one of the slow lane cans in, like, a bottle shop, and it just didn't feel real. <laughs> like, it was like, oh. That's yeah. Nice. yeah. And from there to winning, yeah, winning a trophy uh, within a year. Uh, and now capping it off with Ale of a Time podcast. Yeah, 
<laughs> the biggest achievement, right? <laughs> well, no, we haven't been on a podcast it is first before, podcast. so we oh, are actually go. kind of nervous. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure about hearing my own voice. <laughs> uh, yeah, it sucks to hear your own voice. Uh, you never get used yeah. to it. I wouldn't recommend it, yeah. Editing these is, yeah, you just listen back to every moment that you go, uh, uh, why did I say that? <laughs> um, if people want to find more info about Slow Lane, where do they do that? On our website, www.slowlanebrewing.com.au. Social media, all links through there probably? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's just Slow Lane Brewing on Instagram oh, yeah, like and I think Facebook. Yeah, or Slow Lane Brewing, but yeah, you can kind of link through from the website. Uh, I noticed you had a pretty comprehensive stockist on the website as well. Uh, so I guess around Australia, but keep an eye on your favorite bottle shops. Yeah. And I, when we release a new beer, we normally like on our socials, we put in a list of like who we sent the beer to as well. Awesome. Uh, really, really enjoyed both the beers that I've had in uh, the the cassette, cassette that I had uh, <laughs> on Friday night. Really went down a treat as well. So, uh, yeah, certainly my my style of beers. Uh, I really enjoyed the two beers too. Yeah, Dave, where do people Thanks. find you? Uh, send me an email, davidalbertime.com, please. Um, oh, I just ordered labels for our next patron beer. Uh, they are. Uh, if people saw the Three Ravens post, the, the labels are as fun and as stupid as the beer in the best possible way. Sure, yeah, it uh, works. <laughs> uh, and I don't mean the beer's stupid, I mean it endearingly stupid. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you can get me at alloftime, uh Hypothetical Institute for Your Conspiracy Needs. We're, this week we're recording a show about snow being fake. A lot of people are convinced <laughs> that snow is fake. Lot what? of people. Uh, it's, it's a whole thing. Did anyone go into like why people would fake snow? The government. <laughs> um, apparently, this the current the current crop of people thinking it's fake is because it's all in Texas, and it's the Democrat government that's in now the Biden administration punishing Texas for being <laughs> super right wing. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, duh. <laughs> uh, anyway, I mean, it all checks out to me. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Hey, I don't, I don't know whose yeah. side I land on after researching it. I could go either way. <laughs> um, tune in for the next episode of Hypothetical Institute and your podcast apps for that. Uh, in the meantime, we've got a show lined up next week with. It's escaping me now. Keep an eye on our socials. <laughs> it's terrible. I should have written it down somewhere. Uh, it's going to be a good one, though. Someone in WA. Good tease. Yeah. I'll just give a tease. I remember it now. So I'll just, I'll just tease it. Artisan. It's not artisan. Was it artisan? We've done them before. Okay. Uh, thanks to Alex and Yvonne for joining us. And thanks to everyone that joined us in the, in the chat there. And we'll see everyone next week. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Yeah.